You are listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. Episode 199. Oh, that really? That you close. brought me on for 199. 199. I'm yeah. I'm not good enough to be 200. Well, but I'm one, you know what? I'll take it. I'll take it. But it just is the way it played <laughs> out. I, it was one of those, like, I was gonna, I couldn't figure out what I was gonna do for 200. And then it occurred to me in the middle of a conversation at Fantastic Fest where. The suggestion was made not about that episode, but about having some people on the show to me by those people. And I went, oh, you know what? (laughs) (laughs) This would be amazing for episode 200. And they were like, yeah, let's do that. So episode 200, yes, very special episode where we'll be covering lots of stuff. In fact, if you want to put questions for episode number uh, 200, uh, which will feature some familiar voices you haven't heard for a very long time, or j- please ask them in the comment thread for this one. I would love to to just have it. We haven't taken questions for a long time. It'd be really cool to get a bunch of questions on this one. But this is episode 199, which has a great list of movies here. <laughs> this is Aaron here with me. There's not everything on this list is great, but I but I'm telling you, everything's going to be fun to talk about. You know what? I'll, I'll give you that. Like nothing really completely blew me away, but there was a lot of stuff here that's like what. You know what? Good for you. You tried and you did something. There is a lot of that. (laughs) That is absolutely true. But our first movie is a goddamn classic that I have never seen before. In fact, I didn't even know about it, which is weird considering it is considered to be such a major classic and was even remade once 20 years later. And that film, Criterion put out as My Man Godfrey. This is a 1936 screwball comedy film uh, starring Carol Lombard and William Powell, which I know a lot of y'all are like, oh, this is not my kind of thing. Like, goddamn well should be. This is one of the best classic screwball comedies I think flat out ever made. You know what? I second that. Yeah. This was actually going to be my pick of the week. I'm a little sad that you made it the first movie. Uh, it was just the way I wanted to set things up in a certain way, yeah, and but, it ended up being the only slot I could put it and, in. For all that it's a movie that takes that was made in 1936, it is shot in a really interesting manner. The camera moves, it jukes. There's this great shot where it goes up three stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, the comedy is on point. All the actors just nail it. Nail it. Yeah. Just <laughs> I, interestingly, William Powell and uh, uh, Carol Lombard were married at one point, but they were divorced. Before they made this movie, like a while before, they just were that rare example of a divorce couple that stayed amazing friends and were like, there was no weirdness. They were like best friends even after they got separated and did this movie together. And this movie ends up being also one of those movies that uh, is still relevant today, sadly. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's it's very relevant. It feels prescient almost. Yeah. Um, the plot is it's during the Great Depression. William Powell is a a hobo. He's living inside of a dump in New York City uh, on near a, the East a River. A literal dump. A like, literal dump. Like there 
they're worried about having to leave because the landfill is encroaching on their shacks. Yep. And uh, some rich people show up and like, oh, we've got a, we're doing a scavenger hunt and we've got to uh, find it. What does it say? It says a forgotten man is one of the things we've got to bring in. We're wondering if we, we could pay you to be the forgotten man. And he is so, he's clearly, he's, he's not like, He's not a dumb guy. He's a very eloquent. Yeah. He's very leading man in the, he's very William Powell. And he kind of snarks at her and ultimately is like, no, fuck off. But her like little sister is there and they kind of have a pillar by Carol Lombard and they have a weird sort of like, Bonding where she's kind of like, I think this whole thing is kind of stupid, but you know, whatever. They kind of connect and he's well, like, he's like, you know what? More than anything to piss off your fucking bitch of a sister, I will come with you to help you win the scavenger hunt. And they go to the big event and yes, it's a, that happens. And she's, she's like, how can I repay you? She's like, well, honestly, you don't have to give me money, but I could use a job. And she's like, great. We just lost a butler. You can come in and be our new, you can buttle. <laughs> and uh, he's like, I will absolutely be there. Not realizing what he's walked into is one of the most dysfunctional rich families, like imaginable in a screwball comedy sense. You know, yeah, you know. Although, so, what I wanted to know though is that is this the origin of the housewife having a artist on residence? I because I've seen this trope. Everywhere now. I mean, I don't think it was a trope so much as a thing that actually was happened. Is this a thing that happened? I think Did it was just a- have rich guys sit around writing bad plays the entire time. I, I, I mean, it was. I mean, there's a certainly a fine tradition of like uh, of like artists having uh, rich sponsors. I mean, that goes back all the way back to Greece. Yeah. Of like people, whole careers were because they were like they would have a very rich patron, a patron of the arts, if you will. There's a the, the yeah the older sister has or the mom has a has a, a like a. A artist in residence who's trying to write an opera, and yeah. we only ever hear three words of it but the entire time. They go there, and yeah, the older sister she's she's a really snobby. Like, uh, see you next Tuesday. Um, uh, Carol Lombard's character is just a scatterbrained, like kind of like. She, like, she reminded me of uh, no, not actually knowing a ton about the person, but how I always see Zelda Fitzgerald portrayed, mm-hmm. who's just like la 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 la. Yes, I am going to do this now because it's just fun. But they present her; she's got a good heart, but she's a mess. She doesn't know what real life is like at all, and immediately she has decided that she's in love with him, with with William Powell, which is like really more of a sort of presented as more of a crazy rich girl thing than it is well, like anything that feels that real. Not only is she in love with him, but I think by the midway point of the movie, almost every single female cast member in the entire movie is in love with him. And let's be honest, I was kind of in love with him too. Oh yeah. Because the dude is the most amazing, polite, professional butler in the world. Right. He He's like Alfred before there was Batman. Hey, with, that, like, with that oh same degree, he can politely snark the shit out of you in a uh-huh. way you can't even be mad at him because he's dead on. And that's <laughs> kind of what he is here, except he's like, they're like, oh yeah, we can't. The other servant's like, oh, we never keep a butler for more than a few days. They're gone. They can't take this. It's too crazy. They either get fired or they quit. Uh, and yeah, the whole family's kind of crazy in their way, except for possibly the dad who's just like, 
in full acceptance that his family is insane and spoiled as shit and has no idea what to do about oh, yeah, it. He's just given up. Yeah. Um, just like, whatever. But the big surprise is when it turns out that William Powell's character actually is not a hobo at all. Or, I mean, he is, but by choice. He's actually a, the, a very rich son of a family with, like, you know, a, a prestigious college degree and history. He just had had it with society. And, like, it was like, I can't take it anymore. He had a nervous breakdown. This movie really comes together uh, in every scene. There's not one mo- – I mean, I like a lot of stuff like, like, oh, but then it really pays off in the third act. No, there's no nothing in here where I was bored. All the dialogue is sparkling. Oh, um, my- every character, even the evil sister, yeah. isn't really that bad. They all get a positive turn. Like They do. It, it, it's very Mr. Smith goes to Washington in the way that he steps in and basically improves every life that he touches in some way by just being there. This reminds me, in retrospect, of that uh, Nick Nolte uh, film. Remember that one where he's a hobo, he's a hobo and, and the family with, takes him uh, with Bette Midler, I think? Is it Bette Midler? I just remember it's that Bette. it's the couple who's going through like a the, nasty the, yeah, divorce. The fam- family had kind of adopts him in because he saves one of their lives or something. And then he's turned like he's he's not secretly this genius or something or like a rich guy. But he's like the, the, the guy who changes all their lives for the better by pointing out how full shit they all are and shallow. And it's kind of there's elements of that here uh, down and out in Beverly Hills. Uh, oddly yeah. enough. It's also very much like the Takeshi Miike film, Visitor Q. Oh, Jesus. But no, no. <laughs> w- without the rape and pedophilia and all the or, horrible Miike yeah, stuff. Or having sex in a kitchen filled with your mother's lactation. Yes, that too. <laughs> uh, th- so this is great. I really, if there was a movie, like an old movie that I recommended anytime recently for you that, that, that would tempt you to go and actually spend the time with it, this has got to be the one, like, top top five this year Agreed. of best old movies. Movies we've we've reviewed on here. It's just tremendous and charming and hysterical and dead on ready for a modern day remake. And I can't emphasize this enough. It's not slow. It doesn't it doesn't have a lot of the hallmarks of old cinema that a lot of people who don't like old stuff have about it. It's it's quick moving. It's really interesting. It's funny as hell. Uh, there's a new video program called La Cava Touch, which is author Gary Giddens. Uh, who wrote Warning Shadows, Home Alone with Classic Cinema, talks about the history of this film and basically just how great it is. It was produced in 2018. There's Lux Radio Theater, which is a radio adaptation of this featuring the the cast uh, reprising their uh, screen roles originally broadcast in 1938. Uh, There's a collection of vintage outtakes. There is a video program called Effortless Effortless Art, which critic Nick Pinkerton discusses Gregory LaCava, the director's professional career and cinematic style that was also produced uh, for Criterion in 2018. There's two newsreels from the 1930 that, that, that deal with the themes this movie does, which is poverty and homelessness. And then there's an illustrated leaflet. Uh, by critic Farron Smith, name me and the technical credits. And this is, yeah, this is one of those films you should absolutely put on your radar. And, and one thing I just kind of just dawned on me too, as much as we're talking about it being prescient, it is apolitical. It's more about the separation of wealth and society and how we handle that luxury and lifestyle. And so it, it's something that. Be you a right-winger or a left-winger or an independent, you can still get something out of it. Agreed. 
then we're going to switch gears really fast into a totally different direction and talk about DC's Legends of Tomorrow Season 3. This has come out on Blu-ray with a three-disc uh, three set containing all 18 episodes of the season plus the bonus episodes. This contains all of the, bo- the episodes from Flash Arrow and Supergirl from this bi- the, the best crossover CW's done yet, Crisis on Earth X. So you don't even have to have the other sets to watch it. This is all of them here included. And here's the thing. Everybody agreed the first season of the show was a mixed bag at best. It was, it had a lot of trouble finding its feet and that the second season completely found its feet was like, you know, I think what everybody liked best about the first season was how utterly absurd it was at points. Let's embrace that. I mean, people for decades have tried to create the madness of Dr. Who and make it work in an American setting and have failed every single time. This is the first show that's done that. I agree completely. Uh, it really gets that sort of like, you know what? Fuck it. Aspect of Doctor Who that's just fun. I think the the very first episode of the season involves them having to return Caesar to his normal time mm-hmm. because he showed up in Aruba in 2018. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, I'm in. Yeah, I mean, it's, and season three is even better than season two, which say, like, even more crazy, even more absurd. There's, uh, uh, um, Damien Dark is one of the main villains this season, and he was kind of insufferable on Arrow. And here they're playing him more as a sort of like comic villain. And he, you're like, why didn't you play him like this the whole time? He's great here. He was just kind of like, they didn't know what to do with a character with his power set on Arrow, who was oh. like, Arrow traditionally doesn't have power set villains as much. That's also because like the actor is, he's a seasoned Hollywood that guy actor, he does a great job when put in a good role. And quite frankly, Arrow, especially the season with Damian Dark, was not the best. It was a little drama heavy. And so I think it works better putting him in the goofier world. And this as well, it does things like it, it, it actually ties in for the first time to one of the animated series, to the Vixen animated series, like, uh, because it introduces Vixen's grandmother, who is, a, a animal. She's got an animal necklace thing that get, lets her get totally. the power of any animal she wants and be like as strong as an elephant or gorilla or fly like a parrot or whatever, you know. Um, which, who is actually a really good character. There is uh, Ava Sharp and Zari. Zari is Isis from DC, but you can't call a character Isis yeah, anymore. Yeah, that, so she's, that name is ruined, unfortunately. Yeah, exactly. Um, and a, and then of course. Uh, John Constantine appears, and now next season he's a full season cast member. Wait, what? Oh, you didn't know? I did not know that. Oh, yeah. Is it the actor from the Constantine yeah, show? It's Matt Ryan. That means that that's officially canon. It makes me happy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, it's all been officially canon. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, in fact, uh, I'm sorry, I handed this off to John Golson, and I know it was like, it was like, he was like, oh, please let me get this. And I was like, okay, you can have it, which is the new John Constantine, uh, Constantine, uh, animated film, which is, I think, maybe the best thing the DC animated universe has ever done uh, we're gonna talk and it's also ca- it's also canon so so I, um, I will say though and so i'm i'm halfway into the show um i'm watching this independently on my own and as much as i enjoy it's vixen right yeah yeah so the the grandmother character vixen she showed up in season two who's not played by an old lady no no she's, she's taken out of time let's be honest she's younger than me yeah uh, <laughs> but uh so she both had one of my favorite plot lines that I've run into so far, where her powers are going wild, and whenever she turns into an animal, she literally channels their mind as well and will spend an hour as a spider yeah. and not be aware that she's a human. But also, 
it, it brings back a will they won't they romance angle from season two that I never thought really worked terribly, mm-hmm. and I continue to think it doesn't work because no matter what, you're still a character who will eventually have kids. 60 years prior. Right. And so it's like, it, it makes the whole thing be like, well, I know that this is not going to work out. And, and this season deals a lot with that aspect yeah. of it. Um, it also deals with the exit of Firestorm, which of course is two people, Victor Garber, who's the Martin Stein, the older half of him. And then Franz Drame, uh, Jefferson Jackson, who is the younger half. And all I can say is it really is. It's, uh, it's, it's sad. It's I, I got, I got t- teared up watching it. I was like, damn, that actually, I can't believe they nailed this, but they really nailed it. Yeah, they did. Um, and it, it brings in Wally West, uh, uh, kind in Lonsdale as a full season character. Sadly, isn't returning next season because oh. I thought he fit in really well here. Well, you know, that's the thing though that the show has done consistently. So from the very beginning is they have a huge cast of characters and they are not afraid to midway through on a random episode kill somebody off or have somebody decide to retire or they end up happily married in the 1800s. Yep. Like the cast is evolving cons- constantly. Yeah. I, one of the things I like that, which yeah. also reminds me of Dr. Who it, it the, reminds me of agents <laughs> of shield, the way they do that. They're like, Oh, this character showed up for one episode. Oh no, no, that they're, they're a season regular now. Yeah. You're just here. Yeah. Uh, and it's the type that works this way. Yeah. With a group, with a superhero group dynamic, you can do that. It's uh, maybe the only genre or show you can do that with. I think that this is probably my favorite of the DC universe shows. It's neck and neck with black lightning, which I really liked, but mm. it has the three seasons in. I can't, I hope they continue doing it. it yeah. Keep doing what you Season doing. four is just like, it's starting either just started or just about to start. Yeah. I can't remember. But, uh, this season we get to see Julius Caesar, PT Barnum, Helen of Troy, Cecil B. DeMille, Hedy Lamar, Isaac <laughs> Newton, Lyndon Johnson, uh, among uh, many other characters in here. Elvis Presley, Barack Obama, the Barack Obama episode. Is I did fucking not know great. Obama showed up. That's uh, going to make me sad. Oh, it's a great episode. <laughs> this is so much fun. And I, I like, seriously, guys, if you saw the first season, you didn't, you were like, eh, and you dropped out, or if you've never seen this, this is, if there's one CW show, I'd be like, the, for someone who's like, I'm not normally a superhero fan, but I do like wacky sci-fi type stuff. This is really the one you're going to enjoy. The, there's a, like the climax involves a giant pink teddy bear who, who defeats the villain. Clip. It's uh, amazing. I, I haven't made it there. I'm excited to. It's a kaiju teddy bear. It's amazing. Um, and there's, like I said, this comes with the extras of the crisis on earth X thing. There's a feature called the tome. Uh, collaborators, Legends Assemble, that takes a look at the various different things in season three of the producer interviews uh, and goes all the way through to the finale. There's also a post-production theater featurette, which has a bunch of stuff, including Batman fighting Bebo, the, the <laughs> giant teddy bear in question. Uh, there's some deleted scenes, a gag reel, and that makes very clear these guys all really enjoy doing this show. And, I mean, and is, it, is this the show that Batwoman is showing up in, or is it Arrow? It's... Oh, I can't remember. Because she's be just honest. making a cameo. She's making appearing for an episode, maybe two, and then getting a spinoff show. I was going to say, she'll end up in this eventually at some point. They all... Everyone well, no, no, because she's the star of her own show. Yeah? Yeah. She's getting her own show. So she won't be a character on this as a full-time character because she's she's got no, her own show. show in like but, but she'll be in the crossovers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so our next film, we're getting into the, the, the rest of this episode. Let's see. Da, 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 da. Yes, every single movie we're talking about from here on in is is horror or horror adjacent. <laughs> um, and we're starting off with really, God, 
since House, the Japanese film House, one of oh. the craziest fucking Japanese horror films I have ever seen in my entire life. For people who With like that, the this best fucking title I have ever seen for a movie in years. The Horrors of Malformed Men. Yeah, it's like, which, what is like, that going to be about? <laughs> I, I just finished this yesterday uh-huh. because I kept putting it off going like, shit, man. With a title like that, like, <laughs> I gotta make sure none it's my gotta be messed around. up. <laughs> yeah, and it is. Uh, this came out in 1969 and was quickly just yanked from theaters over outrage from people because, yeah, it's brutal and insane. And I mean, ins- insane, insane like, and so- disturbing. And but and by today's standards, funny as shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Teruo Ishii co-wrote and directed the film based on the novels The Strange Tale, Paranormal Island, and The Demon of the Lonely Isle by Rampo, very famous like horror writer from Japan. Um, and he apparently – this was kind of the kickoff to something they li- literally called pink films. It was one of the earliest of the pink films with lots and lots of nudity and stuff. I mean, one yeah. could say that – one have argued this guy invented the genre. It was basically – it's Japanese softcore porn, but unlike American softcore porn, they tend to actually – have a story as well, and it's not just I mean, not always, different. but a lot of it is yeah. like, I mean, like horror or thriller or spy, but with tons and tons and tons yeah. of sexy stuff in it. Uh, the plot here is this guy, Taro Yoshida, plays Hirosuke, who's a medical student, except he can't remember anything in his past. He's trapped in an asylum, uh, where he's for some reason in the cage with a bunch of half naked girls. Uh, it's because he was allowed to roam free due to him being a good patient. Yeah, but how did he get into the locked cage? Because it's a cage full of naked girls, yeah, and you're you'll in an find a way. Asylum. Yeah, um, and he gets out, and he's framed for the murder of this girl who he talks to at a circus because there's a clue or something that leads him. It's very like yeah, yeah. I, I have to, to admit, together. it wasn't until about thirty to forty-five minutes into this movie when they arrived at the island with the aforementioned horrors of malformed men yeah. that I actually figured out what the hell was going well, on. It's one of those films presenting a lot of stuff that you're not clear well, what the hell is going on, but it does eventually explain no, it, it all. It makes total sense, but yeah. just fair warning, well, I mean, the first 30 minutes type. of the movie, <laughs> there's twin or doppelgangers. Every single woman has the exact same hairstyle, so <laughs> and he's married to one and I believe having an affair with another. Well, let me continue the plot. Like, there's so, all kinds of crazy let stuff. Let me continue the plot because otherwise all that stuff is like is yeah. non sequiturs. Yeah. So he's like the circus girl is talking to him because he's trying to figure out where he's from, who he is. Somebody kills her right in front of him. They think he did did it. He goes on the run. He finds a photo of this recently deceased guy who's very rich and he looks exactly like him and he's like, well, that's a clue if I ever saw one. Um, so he goes to the, the place where he's from uh, basically digs up his body out of the grave to take his clothes and, and wear them and pretends to be yeah. him having clawed his way out of the grave that he wasn't really dead. They made a medical <laughs> mistake. Uh, but he's not doing it to take advantage of his money. He's doing it because he wants to figure out who he is and he figures like like this is the way to do it. It's not very clear thinking, but what are you going to do? Uh, and yeah, he's got his widow is there, but he's also got a mistress and he's trying to avoid sleeping with both of them, which he fails at, but uh, because he's afraid that even if they think 
think I look exactly like them, they're going to know something's wrong they're, they're, by they're me in bed. That the motion of the ocean is different. Exactly. <laughs> and all that eventually ends up leading to finding out the patriarch of the family is been living on this island somewhere and is apparently insane. And they're like, don't go to the island because he's just going to want more money for his weird, crazy project. And he's like, okay, well, now I gotta go. And goes out there and it turns into the island of Dr. Moreau if Moreau yeah. was like a raving fucking lunatic and was like not t- really turning people into animals so much as doing like, I'm making like uh, Siamese twins that weren't Siamese twins well, before. Like, and- it, the idea is it, so this is one of the problems that I had with the movie actually. I, I ended up in my head was expecting this epic Lovecraftian thing. <laughs> it's not that. And it's not at all. No. It's it's a it's a raving lunatic who basically has his ideal society and he's kind of created it here and so like it's weird as shit there's lots of random casual not sexy at all nudity mm-hmm. But there's a lot of really cool gore. There's a lot of really cool shots, and like it's visually creative. And it's the kind of movie that if you like to like get high on weed or do shrooms and watch weird ass cinema, yeah. check this out. This plot is insane, though. It is really insane. Like it's like so. It's very atypical for Japanese cinema at the time. They were not making movies like this. And, 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 you know, even, even, I mean, the Japanese have made some crazy fucked up movies, but this is one that, like, kind of stands out. And I, and the only reason this thing isn't better known is because the studio has intentionally tried to bury it for decades. Like they were embarrassed by it and because of the time when it came out, people were very harsh on them about it. But now rediscovering it, I'm like, this should be a cult classic. Oh, yeah. man. It, it reminded me of a slightly less weird Jodorowsky movie. Yeah. You know, like like the Japanese Jodorowsky. With a very different sensibility yeah. of its weirdness. But yeah, there is that there. And some shots that are just like hold your stomach laughing funny that aren't supposed to be funny. There's <laughs> a scene at the very end with an explosion that like during the credits that had me laughing my fucking ass off just because <laughs> of the weird effects they use. But um, there's two audio commentaries. There's a interview, brand new interview with the screenwriter. There is a uh, a look at uh, two people talking about the career of the director. There is a, um, a Far East Film Festival festival interview with the director, and then image gallery trailer and an insert booklet. Yeah, this is one another one of those ones. It probably wasn't on your radar, and maybe it should be. Yeah, this it's sounds definitely like, worth checking out. If you're kind of thing at all, well, goddamn it, <laughs> go check it out. Okay, so we're going to do three discs in a row that are dual sets that that have come out. Uh, this company is taking films they've gotten the rights to, uh, like horror or horror-adjacent films, uh, in one case sci-fi-adjacent, and putting them into two-disc sets where you flip the disc over and it's the cover on one side, then the cover on the other. And all three of these things that have come out, each one of them have a theme. Like this first one we're going to talk about is foreign language. Like these are foreign language, crazy foreign language, uh, horror adjacent films. I have another name for them. Both have get into which are like horror comedy. I would say the second one is sort of the art house horror where they're both kind of like, they're definitely genre, 
but they're like also they're indie, but they're also kind of like indie art films. Yeah. And the third one is is found footage, uh, where they found two offbeat found footage films to put together. But the first one on this thing is Zombieology. Enjoy yourself tonight. I've been hearing about this movie for a while. I remember seeing a trailer a while back featuring a giant, uh, like chicken store mascot looking guy like you know one of the guys in like like those sort of suits they wear at like a theme park but for like but like it looks like a mascot for a chicken store that is destroying a city by turning everyone into zombies yeah with laser eyes i I called this one japanese Shaun of the dead because (laughs) it had that same feel of like where Shaun of the dead was a romantic comedy that just kind of had the horror laid on top and this feels like a very japanese what's hong kong it's hong kong Oh, sorry, Hong Kong. My bad. A very Hong. I keep doing that. I know. Very Hong Kong, uh, like just comedy film with. Oh yeah, there's a demon chicken mascot and zombies and flying and, eggs. And, and, and I can see the Japanese thing because there's an anime like well, bookend to yeah. it, like like where like for some reason the movie starts with an anime sequence and ends with an anime sequence that is like ba- like the characters, like it's almost on some level they're in dual realities or something, and, and so. If we're jumping, if that's all the plot description that we're going to give, then yeah, that was actually my big problem with the movie is it just kind of ends. Yeah. Like it just, oh, and now we're done. And so it feels more like the first episode of a TV series. It does. Well, because partially because the two like maiden characters here, uh, um, alone and young are like, they've been best friends since they were kids. They've had this fantasy about being like sort of action anime superheroes, which yeah, they, they call themselves by their superhero names. They do all the tropes. They even have the, the, the heaven dragon and the land dragon. Yeah, which is neither one of them. Like, it's like they don't really believe this works or anything, but they have this belief that if they believe hard enough, maybe it will work. Like, their destiny is to become these people, which it's never totally clear, but that's my best guess. Although, right? Oh, go on. Um, but, like, part of it is one of them, his dad shows up after he's been in prison for a long time, is desperately trying to reconnect with him, but he wants nothing to do uh, with uh, with with his dad at all. Um, and then there's, like, the cute paranormal investigation girl who's there, and there's, there's a bunch of sort of, like... Almost cliched for Japanese like cinema characters that uh, pop in. A lot of there are just that are there to be body count. But I don't know, man. This is a movie that I feel like I should I would have liked more if I'd seen an audience with a theater. Uh, like it's it's goofy. It's got like <clears throat> some halfway decent gore effects, but it's not its focus. Well, it's yeah. not focused on that at I all. I was going to bring that up. We talk about zombies. This is not a zombie movie. No. This is a Hong Kong demon comedy film where there are zombies. There's a large... There's not a ton of gore in the movie. Uh, There's a large stretch of the movie where they're not really fighting zombies. Yes. When they do, there's only like maybe one to ten. And so like... It's not a Romero-esque zombie film. No. But if you can get past that, like there is enjoyment... I did laugh a lot at it. It is super goofy, but I just can't get past the ending of the movie. It just I, I, stops. There's a mixed bag. There's but, definitely fun to be had in this thing. It's it's not as good as it seems like it might be in the first 20 minutes. Because I was like, wow, this looks really kind of crazy and amazing. I can't wait to see where this goes. And honestly, it doesn't go anywhere all you know that what? interesting. It, I think 
they needed a bigger budget so they could hire have more gore and, and they better special effects. Fifteen minutes of the movie yeah. so that they could actually tie everything together. Well, the second film in this set was Vidar the Vampire. I actually saw this. I feel like two years ago, maybe. I can't remember <coughs> what festival. It may have been Fantastic Fest. It may have been Fantasia. It may have been South by Southwest. But I remember I watched a digital screener of it because I remember I watched it at home. Um, this is a film that is really, really bugging a lot of people uh, when it came out. And that's partially because it, in terms of like a film for the me, the modern day reflection of the Me Too movement and all that, this could not be more inappropriate. Um, well, so th- this is a, again, and it, it's all, all that kind of happens at the end of the movie. So basically what it ends up being about is, well, tell the plot because yeah, I'm going to get a whiskey while you do that. Uh, I'm jumping into that. So it's uh, about the main character. Vidar basically is a rural, I think it's a new, not New Zealand, but Denmark maybe right. or the Netherlands. And so essentially he has had no life. He spent his entire life working on the farm, never been with a girl, never dated a girl, nothing, uh, and is miserable in every way, shape, and form. Lo and behold, he is visited by Jesus, who is a vampire, who rapes him in a scene that actually I really appreciated because it has casual male nudity, which doesn't happen enough in today's cinema. Right. And he turns him into a vampire. And and that part of the movie I thought was really interesting. I, there's a there's an old uh, uh, anarchist novel from like the 80s. It's called something like The Adventures of Jesus Christ the Vampire that tries to set up like the whole retell, the whole story of Jesus if, if he was actually a vampire. Like all those things. This is my blood, drink my blood, all that shit. It's like, oh, it reposes it, posits it as he was a vampire uh, for political reasons, obviously. Well, then, but I was thought it was funny to see this again. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, the guy's like, yeah, I'm Jesus Christ, but I am but I actually am a vampire. And, and Jesus Christ, Jesus is actually a really cool character. He's like, you know, hey, don't kill people. Don't do things to shitty people. Yeah. Like, like he, he's... You can see him as a vampire Jesus. The problem, though, is that... <laughs> Except he's it, also kind of a hipster douchebag. And so that part of the movie is really interesting, and it feels a lot like a non-English-speaking version of... Um, we. I should know it. The Taika Waititi movie, What We Do in the Shadows. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But then when he becomes a vampire... All of that fun experimentation for me completely goes out the window. Well, early and on, he turns into early on. It sets up a, a shit heel, a thing with where he is has a lot of built up rage against women, like simmering rage against women, including his own mother, um, who who's very religious and who is makes him do everything for her, and he feels like he's unappreciated with like local towns girls who make fun of him and play pranks on him yeah. that he feels are un- unattainable, and so he becomes a vampire and like wants to use that pa- feels like like Jesus uses power to get laid, and it's not that simple. But he, it gets really rapey. There's well, a scene he, where he he's breaks, a red pill guy. Yeah, basically, there's a scene where he breaks into a girl, drunk girl's house that he like hit on earlier, failed, and like, she calls him out on being an asshole. Which by the cre- the credits list her as drunk cunt. Thank you. I was gonna point that out. That popped up in the subtitles yeah. and pissed me. I off. I was like, Are you fucking kidding me? 
Um, and he breaks into her house. She's drunk and he takes her pants off and basically goes down on her slash drinks blood out of her pussy while she's unconscious. And you're like, are you kidding What the hell are you doing? Yeah. And, and that, I'm not going to, that is definitely one of the worst things he does, but that's not the only instance of that. No, it is and, not. And he never really grows past that. And, if so. you took all that stuff out of here, made it about this nerdy guy who was like, yes, had issues with that and actually added, like went with the Jesus thing. We're like, Hey, this Jesus guy, he's not all bad. He's actually got so he's a vampire, sure, but he's not killing anybody. He's got a whole th- system here, like, and made it where it was sort of the redemption of this guy. You could have had an interesting, funny movie. He would have had an arc, or or gone the uh, what I was expecting them to do was the what we do in the shadows route of just going like this is a modern humorous take on all the lore that exists around vampires. And so here's a classic vampire, but oh, it's funny because it was presented, you know, just boom, it happens this way. And the sad thing is, that, yeah, this film does have scenes that show promise. It has scenes in the middle where you're like, oh, wow, that was a funny thing to yeah. do. But it keeps, like... It's just, that's ruining it. it by making him such a unlikable, like angrily unlikable piece of shit. As I've said, so the, the, the theme of this set is shitty third acts to me because the third act of both of these movies just completely killed it. Well, our next set I think is by far the best of these three sets we got sent, uh, the art house horror set, if you will, which all three, all, all, I'm sorry, both of these films on this set, um, are, like I said, at best horror adjacent. They're more about the indie comedy, indie art film than they are about the genre aspect, but they, but the plot is a very genre plot. Yeah. The first one being Imitation Girl, which is uh, definitely more sci-fi than horror, though it has horror elements, which is, uh, Lauren Ashley Carter turns in a, a really impressive dual performance here. She's a porn star. She's kind of done. She's kind of like, I'm just ready for the, I don't even know what's happening, why I'm doing this anymore. She's very tired, but she has no idea what else she could do. And this black ooze comes from outer space, happens to land on top of a porno magazine uh, that has her pictures in it. And the ooze takes the form of her and, and looking just like her and starts going through life as a newborn, trying to figure out what is life? What yeah, are what humans? Who am I? And she gets taken in by an Iran- Iranian immigrant brother and sister family. <laughs> And there's a lot of stuff. The director themselves is an Iranian immigrant. And obviously there's some level of that sort of the outsider and where do I fit in thing going on in the subtext here. But it's not a fast moving movie. It's all about ultimately these two people coming together, which I thought it's, at the very end decision, I was like, okay, so we didn't really get a payoff for that. Did yeah, we? Thank you. Well, that was my issue with the movie. The director did a great job. I think like he shoots it really well. He does a great job with the landscapes, but as much as the performance of the lead actress is great and both characters she plays are interesting. Yeah. Ultimately, like the movie ended and I turned to my wife and just went like, I don't really understand the point of what I just saw, but it is one of, I mean, like I said, very art house, very almost weird. You don't normally say slice of life about a movie like this, but it kind of feels like that kind of movie. I mean, it's very, it's, it's not, I wouldn't go so far as to call it ambient, if you will, but it's definitely like slower paced and reflective and even meditative. It, it felt like a, a, quite frankly, slightly lesser version of Under the Skin. Yeah. Well, where, where they were going for that same kind of. I'd say of tone. considerably lesser because I think yeah. Under the Skin is great, but that's me. 
It's not everybody's cup of tea. Yeah, yeah I, I couldn't make it past the baby dying. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, you can't help but notice a comparison to that for sure. Yeah. Although I, I just, I one of the problems is you're so much more into the scenes with the doppelganger than you are with the yep. original version. It's just so much more interesting watching her story. And maybe that's because I'm such a genre fan. Well, it, it, I think it's because it's different. Uh, the the human version. Yes, it's an interesting perspective. We don't often see stories about a porn star considering retirement, but it's still a person. Whereas the other story is like you're learning everything for the first time. Every person you meet, are they going to be terrible or good? It pulls you in and pulls you with it. Where the other story was just like, oh, it's she's doing a great job acting. Uh, so the other film in this, though, is one I had actually heard of and heard a lot of good things about. It was the, one of the only ones in the set that I was – pretty familiar with in terms of like it existing and being worth seeing and had always had it on my list of, I got to watch this eventually, which is Nina forever. Um, this is once again, very much an indie art house film that uses a genre element to be the crux of the plot, but it's more about it being an indie art house film with the way the characters react. Uh, it's a 2015 British horror comedy, uh, starring Fiona O'Shaughnessy, uh, and Cian Barry, uh, they basically, um, Rob Zianberry, his girlfriend Nina died in a really brutal car crash. Like she was ripped the fuck up. And he has been just has, it's like a while later and he just can't put his it, life it back together. Him. It broke him. But Nina, Fiona O'Shaughnessy is, um, a coworker who's got a big crush on him. Like our friends are like, you are like, you just like to get unattainable guys. You're a tragedy seeker and you know what's going to happen. Even if you do end up fucking him, it's going to, it's going to be a mess. Don't do this. And she's the type of person you tell you can't do something. That's exactly what she wants to do. She's basically like an undercover hardcore goth. Yes. Because the moment they talk about like, yeah, he's hung up on his dead girlfriend. She's like, dead? Is she? Really? Well, basically touches herself. And they, yeah, they have a lot. She's a really messed up person herself on her own level. She has a lot of issues, um, but they do, in fact, get together and hit it off. And as they're having sex for the first time, you watch the bed get all bloody around them to a point. I was like, is this angel heart? What's happening? Which, is this a metaphor? Creepy as fuck. Oh, my God. Was that a great sequence? And the dead girlfriend grows out of the blood spots in the bed. Nina, um, uh, uh, I'm sorry. Nina is Fiona O'Shaughnessy. Uh, Abigail Hardenham is Holly, the 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 uh, alive person. My mistake. <laughs> and uh, Nina is like, "Are you serious? This is like she's not like some crazy like like uh, brain zombie. I mean, she looks horrible. She's covered no. in blood and debilitating injuries and gore. But she's like, this is what you hook up with after me." She's like being all snarky and like disapproving, which is kind of a startling situation to find yourself in as the new girlfriend Although, of someone. I have to admit, I don't think that the characters played that as real as I expected it to. I have to be honest, I would be a fair bit more freaked out if my dead ex girl well, dead girlfriend showed grew out of my bed mid coitus and instead the guy's just like, Yeah, I'm just going to turn away from you because this is just so typical. Dude, after the third or fourth time, you just kind of <laughs> over it. It's, I, you know, believe me, I've been through it. I get how it sounds bad. The first time is bad, but after that, you're just kind of like, well, that shit happens. But so this from this is very much like spring where that happens, and then they decide to try to make it work. Yeah, and this ends up being the first 
like romantic horror drama because yeah. like yeah there's un- I mean drama elements of horror yeah because there's a dead girl who shows up every time they have sex and talks to them and berates them and is has such great matter of fact dialogue about death uh, where she's laying everything out that you really need to know for the whole movie you just don't get it and but really it's it's about them trying to make the relationship work yeah and. I really enjoyed this movie. I have to admit that I think it probably could have used a quicker pace hmm. and would have played a little bit better if they maybe brought up the comedy a bit. I, I agree. Like maybe 10, 15 minutes out of the movie. I was like, yeah. the, the middle section, I was I was checking my There's watch. There's a, a point that times. like we went through the cycle of them having sex and her appearing again maybe one too many times yeah. where it was like, we already get this. You're just repeating yourself. But it's not – to the point where it, it breaks the movie at yeah, all. It's um, just, I mean, funny is I like the idea that she, cause people are like, why would she ever go back? It's because she considers herself kind of a awesome goth chick wannabe. And it's like, I can handle this shit. You are not going to tell me I can't be no fuck her. But her first strategy is when she appears, we'll try and get her involved in a three way, which is really uncomfortable and kind of awesome sequence. Well, I, I kind of enjoyed that. Cause it, it made, it made logical sense. Yeah. And I love her. The, the, the dead girlfriend just being like, look, I, I have like a four inch shard of glass inside my throat and another one down below. This is not happening. Yeah. Yeah. I cannot feel any of this. So (laughs) not, not into it, but I do think, uh, like I said, of this, all, all six of these movies and these three, three discs, uh, this is the best one of all. I think that this is the best film of them. Yes. Oh, but not your favorite. Not the one I enjoyed the most. Well, the next set is the found footage set. So steal yourselves, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to start with the one that I think is the worst film of this whole set, which is Hashtag Screamers. Oh, God. Fuck this movie so bad. Oh, it's so terrible. I'm like, uh, every like even the other films, like even Vidar, I'm like, I see at least why you included it, why it's a film you would have picked up and thought, oh, this is a cool film to double and with this other film. You know, this is one I'm like, no, this is garbage, like, found footage cinema that there's nothing redeeming about this. Basically, so found footage movie, it is about a YouTube-esque startup that, by the way, will never work. Uh, And they get sent videos that are memes from 10 years ago where it's like the that shot of the car in the countryside and the thing screams in the camera. Yeah. And it's the greatest thing ever. And, oh, my God, this is going to make our I mean, it's presented in, as if no, that, no one had already seen that a thousand times already. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, I get it. Like, like the first time you saw that, you thought it was funny as shit and sent it to all your friends. You know? <laughs> Maybe, but that was, like, a decade ago. But I think it is a, a, considered to be a period piece in that sense. Okay. Yeah. It, you know what? Fair enough. Yeah. The, the period I'm can't believe I'm defending it. hashtag screamers. Yeah, I was gonna say, I'm sorry. I spent the entire so for the other part is that quite frankly nothing scary really happens until the very last ten minutes of the movie and because not even that. The, so the videos are sent out their site gets hugely popular which again the site's a terrible idea it wouldn't work as a business but uh <laughs> and they find out that the girl who is in the videos that's being passed around she's legit disappeared. Yeah. Nobody knows where she is. She's been gone for years. 
and they decide to investigate it themselves because yeah. they're stupid. They find information to track down the person who sent them the video, <clears throat> even though they're not supposed to be able to able to do that and they go on a road trip found footage style to try and like oh we're gonna film all this to find her and and then they're like oh and by the way um i guess jack the ripper is a ghost or something yeah and, and then <laughs> it's it's a series of jump scares every death is a jump scare the end it's bad movie skip it don't watch it yeah agreed this is this is just bad <laughs> I, I, I could go on another 20 minutes on how poorly thought out their business is. It really drove me up the wall. The, and every time they would talk about this cool, badass thing, I'd be like, no, that that's stupid. That wouldn't work. You're going to fail. Well, the, yeah, but that's true of almost every decision any character makes in this film. Uh, it's just it's it's such a huge train wreck of bad decisions, bad filmmaking, bad lighting, like uh, like bad makeup. I'm like. I mean, just bad decisions. Like that point where you're like, you realize it's about a Jack the Ripper ghost. Like I was like, Oh, for fuck's sake. I guys. didn't even get it was really Jack the Ripper. Uh, I'll be honest. It just like, I had to go look it I up. I tuned out. <laughs> I had to go look it up to make sure that the person that I'm talking about actually was one of the 80 or so people that was considered as a theoretical possible Jack the Ripper. And, and sure enough, although he's pretty fucking far down the list. <laughs> um, the other side of this, though, I know, is the one that was your most fun to watch movie, which I is... I actually really enjoy. Which is The Monster Project, which I admit is, is like, way better than Hashtag Screamers. Uh, and I'm, like, one of those people... I regularly find myself being put unenviably in the position of defending uh, found footage horror films. Because the bulk of them are garbage, but they are a lot of ones because there's so many that are made. There's just, there are a lot of ones that are genuinely really good. And occasionally ones that are like not necessarily really good, but still really worth your time. And I feel like this is one of those ones that's somewhere, it may be yeah. not quite at really worth your time like, level, but it's, it, it's okay. It's got a lot of problems, but it's fun. So like basically the movie is about, the black stereotype number three and his emotionally manipulative buddy yeah. decide to start a YouTube business because they got mad hits and mad hits equals dollars. Um, and in theory, so they, uh, they decide to start project M, which is an interview show with people who claim to be real monsters. Yeah. And there's some interpersonal stuff and drama and one person, one of the characters has a sordid drug pass and two and of the characters used to be. Yeah, that's a weird thing. We're like, yeah. So the guy brings in his ex-girlfriend who's clearly still got feelings for, despite the fact he's kind of a douchey frat boy guy. Yeah. But, but like, you're like, oh, there's just enough to go, okay, he still likes his girlfriend, even though he's got a new girlfriend, but he brings her in and asks her to direct the film, which is obviously a sort of, I want an excuse to hang out with you and giving you something that one of the reasons you broke up with me is because you were mad. I never gave you this stuff and also agrees to bring in her new boyfriend who is a junkie as a PA, which causes the problem because he pays him more than he's paying his actual partner on the fucking uh -huh. film, which is a running gag that is, I'm sorry, never funny and has no payoff of it. Well, kind. it's so the, that his partner uh -huh. is one of the most, racist characters I have seen in a long time. Uh -huh. Like he himself is not racist, but he is such the, I'm a trash talking comedian, black guy who is obsessed with money and 
damn it, we got to get the fuck out of here kind yeah. of guy. Yeah. But so they, they find three people who claim to be a vampire, a skinwalker who's really just a werewolf, and a possessed demon, or a girl possessed yeah. with a demon, and line up interviews and... Oh, and also film it in a house that's reputed to be haunted. I was going to say, and they decide to film all three interviews in one location at the same time with no lighting. It's not a great movie, just and it's not, go with it. It's go not great it. in the way it's shot, is his so, biggest problem. Here's the biggest flaw of the movie. The biggest flaw of the movie is it could have been so much better. There's, I was telling Chris before we started recording, there were six or seven times in this movie I got really excited because I thought they were going to do something neat and interesting. Mm. And every single one of those times, they went with the cliche, predictable, we've seen it a hundred times choice. Yeah. So, yeah, it's lazy. But the werewolf design looks really cool. It does. The vampire character is a terrible actress, but is a cool vampire. She's also super hot. like the demon is kind of interesting although fair warning the demon effect is a snapchat filter yeah it just does not look good so like it doesn't but they're going with kind of a samara type thing she's like the little japanese girl with long hair but who's possessed and yeah whenever they do the cg effect thing it looks terrible whenever they're doing practical makeup like with a shape changer it actually looks pretty fucking good But, but the thing is is they basically end up stuck in this house with monsters everywhere, and shit goes down. It ends up with a, a basic big Scooby-Doo chase scene throughout the house, with all of them running as all three of the monsters are trying to kill them at once, running through this house, which is fine. And I know that like on the, uh, on the surface, you're like, okay, yawn. But it's just such a ridiculous, goofy idea that you're having fun with it. Yeah. And then it has a really solid payoff at the end, where I was like, that's a fun kind of cool twist. I, I'm I'm 70% there. Yeah. I liked half the payoff. Yeah. And, but then there's a final last second jump scare, which was so obviously going to happen True. 20 minutes oh, no. prior. I mean, but that's like, it, I've seen all-time classic horror films that have a last second rah, in the yeah. camera and you're like, why did you do that? Yeah. <laughs> like, But the, the only reason it bugged me is that was one of those moments where I was like, oh shit, like, they're going to do this and this is really cool and these two characters are going to like do that. Yeah. But no, no, just jump scare at the end. Let's say more than anything, this shows a lot of promise for uh, like the writer, not the director per se. Agreed. Or, or, like, who I'm like, there's some good ideas in this thing for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a lot of like, like the whole last act is pretty much filmed with like night vision, which gets annoying really fast. Um, it does. It's just not pretty to watch. There had to have been a better way to conceive of this. It's, it's, it's a messy found footage film, but that's part of its charm on some level too. It's the kind of movie that is really going to appeal to horror fans who just watch everything because it's fun. And that that is its saving grace. It's ultimately, it's just fun. Speak- Unfortunately, it's paired with hashtag screamers. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, what the, it's actually reasonably priced anyway, so it's like you're just paying for the one movie. Yeah. The, um, speaking of horror fans who like everything, we've got Arrow releasing 1973's cult classic, uh. The Baby, which is one of those films that's so divisive. I tried to offer because I actually have a previous copy of this I had from a like a that we reviewed this before, 
And uh, I tried to offer it to him for free. He's like, hey, do you want to take my copy of the baby? He's like, oh, no. <laughs> Brian Salisbury, who does junk food cinema. This is the guy who adores some of the worst movies ever made. God love him. And he, for him, the baby was no sir. But I get it. I will say I kind of enjoyed it the first time I saw it in a way, but I really genuinely liked it watching it again. What? Yeah, I did. What? It's so, what the fuck? It's a, this is kind of the what the fuck episode. There's a lot of what the yeah, fuck going is. on in yeah, this episode. Is. And um, this is just weird, weird 70s shit that's not even really a horror film. Yeah, it's, it's. It's not at all. It's, it's I mean, a it, drama about a caseworker. Yeah, well, it's an absurd sort. drama thriller. You know, I guess thriller. He, I don't know. It's a social worker who uh, is dealing with a new case. This mysterious Wadsworth family, and the weird thing is, apparently, their youngest member is a mentally. They keep referring to as the baby. Yeah, is youngest, actually a mentally impaired guy in his twenties. As I say, yeah, the youngest member, I he's upper twenties, yeah. maybe thirty. Who is like doing it just like a, a really actually pretty solid impression of an infant the whole time. I mean, yeah. hats off to that actor. It's a humiliating thing to it do was, on screen, and he has to do it a lot. He did it well enough that I spent the entire movie going. That's not how you treat a baby. Yeah. Because they all kept yelling at him, like, right away. They just started screaming at him. And it's like, no, raising your voice like that does not help. You don't talk to kids that way. And it's an all-female household. The mom and all the kids, the dad apparently left some time ago. Uh, They're very overprotective of him, uh, very, like, nervous and, like, around the new social worker who's coming in and are dealing with the disability payments from baby as their main source of income, which is obviously... Kind of suspicious from the get-go. And all it ends up being with, like, like her kind of figuring out this is, n- this is not someone who is naturally mentally impaired. This is someone who was her child who they intentionally, like, abused like crazy and made into this infant personality yeah. in order to be able to survive they, they, they off they the payments. let him yeah. be anything but an infant. And it's a really stomach uncomfortable film to watch on many ways and it just gets more so as it goes along and I don't mean gory I just mean the very <clears throat> the idea of the whole thing well, is so just like distressing and then it ends on a point where you're like that is not earned by the way I'll admit the ending is just like I thought found la- really laugh out loud funny because it's like almost out of nowhere oh, like I, I cracked up yeah. I legit laugh you're like that came out of fucking nowhere the way they chose to do a whoa stinger twist ending well and what's uh, funny is that it's it's kind of given away by the plot description a little bit like they reference somebody who is somewhat tied up to that mm-hmm. and I spent the whole movie going that's so weird like this character has a, oh oh then what the fuck but like the whole movie it's not gory. There's not a ton of kills, no. but it is There's somehow concurrently. There are two kills. Yeah, it is concurrently the most twisted and messed up movie we watched this whole session, technically. And wait, the, more than the, horrors of mal- malborn men? Uh, okay, no, no, it, not the second. Then second most. I, I mean, about that malborn men. <laughs> but like, it, th- there's a lot of really weird exploitation stuff in here that just. Is there just to go, ooh. Yeah. Like, there's a sequence with a babysitter that 
makes no sense in the context of how any reasonable human being ever would act in a situation. But it's okay because it's the baby. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I, I have to admit, I, I'm with Brian. I did not like this I'm, movie. This is a movie that's like, it's just so patently absurd. It's it's 70s cult cinema that knew that's what it was going for from the get-go. That is not a good movie, but it has a sort of John Waters-ish charm to it. Oh, that's perfect. That, you know what? That nailed it. This feels like a John Waters horror movie. Yeah. It's kind of got, I mean, not to the degree of his like super low budget, like filmmaking and like actors who are like completely incompetent. Not like that, but it feels like, like maybe this would have been a transitional John Waters yeah. film between like Pink Flamingos and Hairspray type stuff. Yeah, where yeah, you're, I'd like, buy that. Like it, it does have that. I would be shocked if John Waters wasn't a fan of this film, <laughs> I, this wasn't an influence on he, him. He bought this copy when it came out. Like, let's be honest. Uh, this a- Arrow edition, uh, we're still kind of startled they put this out because it was just released on DVD, <laughs> like, like I think less than a year and a half ago. Very well, recently. Because it's Arrow, we do not question their tactics. We do not. They, they are wonderful. They're succeeding at life, and we will just take what they give us. They are, like I said, they are the criterion of... Of, uh, of B weird. to F grade films. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and they do a great job at it. There's an audio commentary. There's an interview in 2018 with actress Mariana Hill. There is a 2018 a- a interview with Stanley Director, who did all the paintings that you see in Baby's Bedroom. Uh, it seems like going a little desperate for interviews, but okay. Um, there's a retrospective <coughs> by a film professor, Down Will Come Baby, about the film. There's Tales from the Crib, which is an archival interview, uh, <laughs> Audio interview with the director, Ted Post. Uh, there's Baby Talk, which actually is the best thing extra on here, which is 15 minutes with the actor who played Baby. It was like, who's like, I think he's a teacher now, too. And he's just like laughing about it. Like, yeah, this was a really weird shit in my life to do. Uh, and then the original trailer and a booklet. But yeah, I, I don't know. It's one of those movies you're just going to have to decide for yourself. Like, I really feel like you should give this a shot if you like really offbeat. Like, if you like John Waters films, I guarantee you this is up your alley. I I will say, though, get some beer. Maybe invite a friend over. Like, don't watch it seriously. Just go in having a good time. Agree. Which you could say for most of the films we're reviewing today. Yes. Uh, But I cannot do that. This almost never happens, but... I saved the worst for last this week. Uh, And this is worse than hashtag screamers. Uh, This is a, Uh, I think it was. Yeah, no, no, no. You're right. You're right. Hashtag screamers actually involved me. I cared about their failing business. (laughs) This movie is called The Row, as in Sorority Row, if you will. Even though there actually is a horror movie called Sorority Row. Which is so much better. Have you seen it? I've never seen it. It's very well shot. It's decent. It's a okay slasher that's really pretty. This is not, This though. is not. No, this is... I keep saying, this is like if in the 90s, MTV's Spring Break decided to do a spinoff horror film directed by the guys who make MTV's Spring Break, this would be that movie. Yeah, that's fairly accurate. Yeah. Um, and it's a, a bad call by wrestler Randy Couture, who is like, <laughs> I get it. All his buddies are, are moving up and, and getting jobs in Hollywood. Dude, fire your fucking agent right now. 
because you ain't going to be the John, the new John Cena in Hollywood if you keep working with this guy. Because anyone no. should have been able to spot this stinker from a thousand miles away. Certainly after reading the script. He plays a detective who's dropping off his daughter at college. Um, we see very like a little bit of her at college, but mainly it focuses on he has, there's a tragic accident on his job. He ends up accidentally shooting his partner who had been kept held hostage by a criminal. He fucked it up, shot his, his partner who died. Uh, he's suspended. Uh, meanwhile, over at the college, there's a masked serial killer who is preying upon the women at this college uh, while his daughter is trying to get into the same sorority where people are being preyed on. Of course, it's one of those things like many slasher films. It takes quite a while for anyone to realize that people are actually dying. They're just, where are they? I don't know. I haven't seen them for a while. Um, which, like I said, is part of the course for slasher films, so I'm not even criticizing it on that. Uh, but then she finds that her mother involved in, attended the sorority and was involved in a really bad hazing like, on her mother's part being the hazer, not the hazy, that involved a woman dying. And the whole question, is this involved? Why won't her dad ever speak about it? Why is her dad kept secret from her that her mom went to this college and belonged to the same sorority? Yawn! This is a bunch of really bad actresses dancing around in skimpy clothing, uh, really just doing nothing but applying to very prurient 13-year-old boy interests, yeah. but in a way that is never going to give them what they came here for. The movie has one sole redeeming quality to me. I mean, like, the kills are terrible. They cut away. They do avid yeah. farts all over the place. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, terrible editing, terrible lighting, terrible acting. However, <clears throat> the main actress of the movie, so she hasn't yet learned that when you go into a scene, you need to start somewhere so that you can build up in drama and get louder or more dramatic. She enters every scene already yelling and screaming. And so you can watch her struggle through every single scene she's in for like a five minute sequence where she's just like, shit, my first line I was yelling. So I'm just going to yell the whole thing. And, and this is a person who is known as a media personality. It is uh, Lala Kent, who is from uh, Bravo's show Vanderpump Rules, apparently, which obviously I've never watched, but has become one of those people who had her own catchphrase or people chant, give them Lala as a thing, like who are big fans of her. She has her own beauty empire, which is give them Lala beauty. Uh, she's got a huge following of people, much like the Kardashians do, which is to say... You don't have any discernible actual talent, do you? Which seems clear watching this film. Yeah. Um, this is a movie put together by the fact she's in it and by the fact Randy Couture is in it. And it has absolutely nothing else to offer on any level. Yeah, I gotta say, every, every single other disc we have, there's a reason for someone to pick it up. Mm -hmm. I can't think of nobody who I would recommend this movie to. No, no, I really can't. It's It's... <laughs> It's, there's, uh, like, there's certainly nothing on any sort of dramatic level or any sort of storytelling level or any sort of, like, like fun-to-watch level going on here. It doesn't even deliver the things you expect from a slasher movie, which is to say kills that appear on screen or... But, excuse me, or um, or nudity, right? Neither one of those things is happening here. What you get is a really limp... Horror, it looks like it's made for, like I said, MTV horror film that 
spends most of its time focusing on hot chicks dancing at parties, you know, at raves or what have you, ravish type things. I'm old. I don't know. What do they dance at now? And it's not raves. It's something like raves. Although, I did discover watching this movie that I have a type. Yeah. Because every single character who inevitably ends up being the one murdered, I was like, oh, she's actually kind of cute. Ah. And then like two minutes later, they'd be dead. No, everybody's beautiful, but so fucking what? We have the internet, yeah. you know? They can't even give us the, like, if we're watching this garbage film. They're like, like, there's definitely four 13 year old boys and they're not even going to take their clothes off for it. Well, yeah, so, like, so they're, which they're, I'm not, don't want to sound like misogynist Bob the asshole, but I'm like, this movie is selling itself on this. You're right. Like, uh, it's selling itself on a sex and blood horror film. Yeah. There's one scene of nudity, and it's a character who exists only for that purpose. Right. She is introduced, has sex, and then dies. Yeah. And does not exist in any other scene in the and, film. And, and then none of the kills are on camera. They literally cut to black. There's... What was it I was going to say? But there was like... It... Oh, man, there's so many things I could complain about, but what's the point? Yeah, just, I just, don't know. It's, just it's just not skip it. it. Just skip it. There's like a digital copy. There's trailers, a, like a making of, like that's an EPK and a commentary by the director. But none of that matters because if you have any sense about you, you will never, ever oh, see this movie. Oh, if you watched any of the commentary, I did. Because I was what? curious. I didn't watch the whole thing with commentary. But when, could you the, actually hear them snorting coke? I watched the last <laughs> half, and the director was like, yeah, and this is a setup for the sequel that we're already writing and oh we're getting ready. I'm like, god. oh my god, no. Please, god, no. No, this is too, this is too terrible even for people who generally – are like have very little sense of like like what makes a good horror movie or not. I mean, I guarantee you, most people are going to be like, like your average IMDb voter is going to be like, what the fuck is this shit? Oh yeah, it did not deliver at all. The only thing it had going for it at all, there was a cool concept that the killer was only taking one piece off of the bodies at a time, like sawing it off, and he was making a human doll that could have come into something cool, but it didn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that is it for this week's Digital Noise, the penultimate <laughs> to right before 200 episode. I'm sorry. I do not want to make you feel unworthy, Aaron. You are I'm, very I'm worthy. You seem out. like you're still distressed. I don't want you to feel distressed. <laughs> I, I, I will hold back the tears. Okay. I'll be okay. But I know you, <laughs> like everybody else, is going to be who was a fan of the show before you even joined, is going to be excited to listen to episode 200. Hell, I'm fucking excited to record it. Now, if I can just get those guys to go ahead and finish watching the movies I gave them over a week and a half ago. I'm not going to lie. I'm excited to listen to it. Yeah. I'm I'm like, like, come on, guys. Snap it up. I've been sending messages like, hey, how's it going? You doing okay on those? How are those moving along? You done with those yet? Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Uh, yeah. Episode 200 is going to be a blast. Like I said, please leave your questions in the comments for this episode, for episode 200. You guys probably might even have like uh, some good theories about what, in fact, who my guests uh, hosts are going to be for that one. But regardless, go ahead, go ahead and ask them. I don't care. I, I'm not answering anything in the comments. I'll just add them to the, uh, the the list of stuff that we talk about on the show. Thank you so much to Aaron. Aaron, where can they find you online? Where would you like them to find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter under Father Baldor at Father Baldor. And I'm on Instagram under uh, Hair Voodle. 
That's H-E-R-R space V-O-O-D-U-L. All right, so you're going to have to explain both of those names to me, where they're, what they mean. Because uh, they're both... I, so, I don't get either one. Sure, sure. So Father Baldor happened because uh, my dad... Bald as a cue ball, and I have the most hair I will ever have again in my life right now, which is not much. Uh, and so, work for Bruce Willis. He, he used to joke that he was the magnificent Baldor. And so, when I created Twitter, I was like, fuck it. You created Twitter? When I created my Twitter account, <laughs> I was like, I'm a dad and I'm bald, so I'm Father Baldor. Hair Voodle uh, is my gamer tag on Xbox as well because. I'm sad and get all my interest from my wife. Apparently my wife is super into Germany cause that's what she did in high school and I study I, German. I always liked how close my name is to kind of like a hair something in German. So it's the German spelling of my name with hair in it. Fair enough. Sieg hair. And the best <laughs> part about it is nobody gets it. And so I'm her voodle. Like I'm that woman's voodle all the time. <laughs> Can I ask you, you regularly go like, so my wife says, after you're talking about watching this movie, how many of these movies does your wife watch with you? It depends. So lately, uh, she doesn't watch as much because my son is two and a half and is everything that that age entails. So bedtimes are a little tricky. Mm -hmm. But this section, like she watched uh, most of Screamers. Oh, man. She watched the the first indie horror film. She watched Raw with me. Like, it really just depends on timing. Yeah. If my son goes down, then I'll come down and start something at, like, 10 o'clock. And if she's always up because she's starting her business. She'll be like, I'll join you. Yeah. yeah. And it's the same with my parents. Like, uh, we visit them relatively often because they're only an hour out of town. And anytime I visit, I almost always have a stack of movies. And I'm like... It's nine o'clock. My son's in bed. Hey guys, I'm going to put a movie on. You can pick. Here are the three. I'm sorry. This is what you get to choose from. (laughs) That's on me. I'm sorry to Aaron's parents, honestly. Um, at least it's your, I assume your parents are more liberal than your in-laws. Were, yes, yes. So. Oh, they so, thoroughly enjoyed it. The The only thing that's ever grossed any of them out was my mother couldn't handle the terror when they were snipping frostbitten toes off yeah. of guys. Yeah, but she then, had to get up and leave Yeah, but her. then you said she went back to it and kept watching oh, it. Oh, she loved that. the show. Yeah. She, she was asking me where she can watch it online. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Well, thanks, Aaron. And we will be back, I don't know exactly when, hopefully really soon. Because these guys need to get through these movies so we can do it for episode 200, which will be an awesome good time and probably an epic length episode. Uh, And yeah, we'll see you guys then. Thanks for listening.